0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast Fenced In. Uh, you are here with myself, uh, Ben Peggs, and Chris Mollard. Uh, you should know us by now, but for those that are new joining today, Chris and I are both two GB international fencers, um, and also coach and student. Um, I look after Chris, and he looks after me in other ways. So uh, we're 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 a bit of a, a bit of a duo, and we've uh, we, we've got today with us uh, a special guest in psychology. We have Dr. Jonathan Katz. Uh, Jonathan is a high-performing psychologist uh, specialising in sport and business. Uh, Jonathan was the British Paralympic Association National Psychology Lead for 10 years. Uh, he has provided psychology support at four Paralympic Games, two of which for ParaGB, GB, headquarter psychologist and two as national governing body psychologist across both summer and winter games. Whilst also delivering support at the Olympic Games in Sydney and multiple World, European and Commonwealth Championships since 95. Uh, Jonathan has been a trainer in the NHS and other executive settings for most of his career. Whilst being a world-class psychologist, Jonathan's also a fencing coach and aided individuals and teams to high-level success. Uh, currently working with British Fencing's athlete development programme to integrate an elite psychology model to its emerging young fencers. And even working with me as well. So uh, an impressive CV there, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, very much so. And not just working with you, but working with you at the Commonwealth last time around where you won individual gold and team
0: silver. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, despite, uh, despite Chris and, and Jonathan being um, in the same room, um, this is probably the first time really getting to know each other. So uh, we're looking forward to a, to a really good uh, podcast today. Jonathan, how are you?
2: I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for in, inviting me and uh, looking forward to see where our conversation takes us.
0: Absolutely. Chris, we, we did a little bit on psychology, didn't we, a bit earlier on in in the podcast during lockdown. And, and and you and I, it's something you and I both work on quite a lot, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there are various different elements of that. There are day-to-day bits. There are uh, regular training pieces for your mind as well as your body. And, you know, we both have sports psychologists. We're fortunate enough to have uh, Dr. Jonathan Katz with us today. And you know i i know that the work that i've done with my sports psychologist has been invaluable and you know that that's essential how have you found how often do you guys talk how often do you guys kind of work together or do something
0: um so we at the moment in time uh jonathan and i tend to meet for every fortnight um it's been it's been something where jonathan and i have worked together on and off for oh how long would you say it's been jonathan
2: so our pals then first crossed at your first senior Commonwealth Games of England in 2010. So that would make it 10 years. Absolutely.
0: And in, in a few days time, well, a bit more than a few days time, I'll turn 30. So that, that that would make it 10 years.
1: How amazing. And is that how you first met, first started working together as part of the England team?
0: Yeah, I would say so. I, I think that's probably, I, I mean, we, I, we've probably seen each other around the, the British fencing circuit on a, on a regular occurrence but really got to know each other in that environment um, and, and as I say we've worked on and off depending on on uh, funding, availability, um, results, uh, lots of different things um, but certainly in the last I would say uh, 10 months probably to a year um, we've been wor- working on a very very close basis and actually Jonathan was 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 kind of a, an integral part in, in our campaign towards or certainly my own individual campaign with the the team towards uh tokyo 2020 what i often find with uh with psychology is that i think a lot of people are are somewhat misunderstood uh, about about the idea of sports psychology so jonathan firstly talk us through exactly in in your mind what psychology is and and are there any misnomers any kind of misunderstandings about what psychology is
2: certainly thanks thanks for that ben it's 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 a subject which is, is quite broad and therefore difficult to be concise, which I'll attempt to do. One of the structures in sport is to divide the, uh, the environment into technical, tactical, physical and mental elements. Obviously the mental elements being the psychological elements. Historically, uh, psychology was used in, in a reactive sense when there was a problem or an issue or a concern or some crisis emerged, then psychology would have been brought in to provide a remedy. Over the last 10 or 15 years or possibly a a, a touch longer, the idea that people can improve their mental skills in just the same way as their physical skills, technical skills and knowledge base has resulted in psychology being more of a proactive component in, in the sporting environment and, and, in, and is seen as a performance enhancement. So in essence, psychology done formally is, is where the athlete or the team's four processes, emotional state, etc., et can be integrated to complement their performance. So you've obviously spoken about
1: sports psychology over a longer period of time. Have you seen any big changes uh, from when you started in this field to, to
2: now with athletes? Uh, y- yes, I, yes, I have. When when I entered or was involved early on, the, 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 the bulk of sports psychology, certainly in the UK, was one of mental skills training, for example, goal setting, concentration, motivation, etc. Et, 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 et As time has progressed, those elements of performance have now been included in coach education programs for coaches to develop directly. And I think correctly, because coaches are working with athletes far more than most psychologists would work with athletes. What that meant is psychology in addition to working with those specific mental skills also works with communication systems, organizational structures, and, and it can also move to a wider perspective and was very topical in the current, in the current uh, circumstance is in the well-being of the person not just the performance of the athlete. I think it's quite interesting
0: actually you talk about that that kind of bit where you say it's not just about the, the ultimate performance, it's it's about the well-being of, of, of the human. And that's something that I've certainly seen a difference in personally through reading more on psychology recently. And is it's not just kind of looking for the ultimate performance, but we know if they if you have a happy person who is happy in their everyday life and their surroundings, their 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 performance on on the piste or whatever other uh, even in business or, or whatever tends to be tends to be better um, and, I, and I also it's really interesting that you kind of talk about the way psychology was used as a bit of a kind of like plaster um, years ago as a kind of oh, a, a reactive based kind of um, support well we'll just put a plaster on that we'll kind of fix that whereas now it seems very much let, let's get kind of get to the 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 the, the root causes and actually educate one um, and coach them to 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 have a stronger skill set from the from the beginning. A bit like you would any technical work or tactical work. That's really interesting for me.
2: You asked earlier, are there any misnomers or what I would refer to as as myths? Mm. And one 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 of the myths is that somehow psychology or sports psychology needs to be done in quotes in secret, away from the sporting environment, and somehow it's it's kept separate from the other. Um, stakeholders in supporting an athlete or a team, and I, I, I find quite the reverse: the more, if I can use the, the metaphor, the more the psychology is brought into the performance light, so to speak, and is made visible. I, I, I think it can have much greater benefits mm. in in the in for the individual person and the wider system or context that that person or squad or team is working and training and performing in. I think that's really
0: again really interesting because you kind of see that people are working in teams now, even if there's an individual you have kind of a, a staff around them. And the idea of of all of those um the, the that team, that staff working in unison, something that you and I have, have have talked about recently, um, actually makes life a lot easier for 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 the for the athlete. And it also means that everyone's kind of working excuse the expression to on the same hymn sheet that, you know, if the, if the coach is reinforcing um, some of the psychological work that you are, you're doing with, with your sports psych um, in lessons and on the piece, it makes for kind of one, one generic voice, one kind of system, which for the, for the athlete becomes a, a, a much more consistent theme. Well, oh, I've certainly found it that way anyway.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like everyone's pulling in the same direction, which makes a lot of sense.
0: But it means there's a lot more onus on the other coaching staff as well to have, more of an understanding about the different areas that are needed i remember years ago fencing coaches were just fencing coaches but now fencing coaches have a a quite a a rudimental understanding of of strength conditioning and 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 psychology and 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 different things because they have to the sport has moved forward and not only the sport but actually sport in general has moved forward where you do need that that more rounded knowledge
2: yes yes i i i i certainly agree and in, in in the more sort of formal terms to sum up that that ethos, if you like, now with psychology and the wider sport sciences, is that in an ideal scenario, the support is systematic. So it's built into a program, therefore it's integrated, and it's integrated with the coach and with and as you rightly say, Ben, with the wider support team, be the S&C coaches, physios, etc. The final point I would add, certainly in fencing and other individual sports, is that there's, there's I certainly place a real importance on the relationship with the athlete and coach. And that unit, unit is very important. And if there's more than one coach, then if there would say two coaches, then, then, then the communication between the athletes and the two coaches and between the two coaches is similarly important. So in essence, the psychology as I work can support that relationship. Do you find that there is
1: uh, a sport or are there other sports that fencing seems really similar to in that regard? So you know, possibly individual sports, possibly team sports. Tennis is one that comes to mind, but I could be totally off the beaten track with that.
2: The wide range of of individual sports are frequently built around a, a coach athlete relationship, and there may be more than one coach, which, which which I'll come back to in a moment. And then ar- around that, there there is a wider team to help inform the design of a training program to help monitor and then add intervention into that. And that intervention can be, for example, the psychologist directly with, with, the, with the coach or with the athlete. But it could also be that, as I've done at times, I've worked with the coach and then the coach works with the athlete because it informs the, the whole, whole re- 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 relationship. If, if that makes sense to you, Chris, that makes sense. I think that is very interesting.
0: It's really interesting how to say that you know working also with with the coach as as well to kind of see because I'm sure and I, and I know this now um, having done um, a lot of coaching work for a few years now um, and uh, and and Jonathan and I's, i's path um, uh, crossed again actually when I was taking one of my my coaching qualifications. Um, Jonathan uh, sat on on the on the board um, to effectively. Uh, Examine, examine me when, uh, when I was doing my which was which was great fun but also at the same time nerve wracking somewhat um but as as a coach now you can see how and I can see how that working with a young student you there are uh, people differ greatly and the approach has to differ um, And and there's one preferred way that I like to coach and, and deliver um, but there are some that are, are less um easy to come by for me and sometimes it's good to kind of talk about how you, you can have different ways of talking to, 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 to athletes and coaching them.
2: That's right. And, and I think there are those different styles, if you like, of how athletes want to learn. I did mention uh, earlier that I would come back to a point, certainly in, in national squads, it's quite likely uh, an athlete might have a personal or individual coach. There may well be a squad coach and, an, and a national coach. The, the challenge of understanding the coach athlete relationship in the at the more towards the elite end is quite challenging because there are multiple voices and sometimes this, the if those voices are are created discordant re- results that, that that has an impact on the on the performance the the coaching for the for the athlete and similarly if that is more agreeable or more in sync then that has a similar effect. You find sometimes that your
1: role is more of a facilitator between these various people. I used to find this working in an office as a designer. You had, you know, you had me as a designer, you had the tester, you had the person doing Q&A, you had the product owner, you had the stakeholders, and it was like a five-way tug-of-war and everyone was pulling in a different direction. And you sometimes find then that your, you know, your your role is to be there for the athlete, but also to make sure that to make sure that everybody's pulling in the same direction and there is a single voice.
2: Absolutely and and in the introduction that Ben kindly um, provided there was the work with the Police Paralympic Association for example and also when I've worked as a lead psychologist with different governing bodies one of the core features of that type of work is with the organisation or the system in order to be a sounding board from from top down as well as from bottom up, so you mm. so you you you're quite right, Chris. Uh, some sometimes the, the the support is is in giving feedback to and having perspective of of the system and the effectiveness otherwise of of the communication processes.
0: It sounds like you could almost say the glue that holds everything together. Um, I and also I can imagine everything in between as well, and and not only being a support potentially to a national coach who not only has 12 athletes, if we take the idea of fencing, who could be on a, on a British squad, but also then not only looking after and finding the best well-being and, and performances for those athletes, but also potentially having to work with, with 12 different coaches as well. And if you're greedy like me and have two coaches, then even more so. So I can imagine that can be quite challenging. But actually, we, we've never really seen something as challenging as currently the environment we're kind of living in. Jonathan, it, it, we wanted to kind of find out what... You think the effects of COVID and its restrictions are uh, having on on mental people's mental
2: well-being at the moment? That is a question and a topic on a multitude of lips around the world, in person and virtually. I'll give my my attempt to summarise what what I see. The key for for me is if we're looking at sports people, athletes, etc. The the first Thought process I go to is how big a part is that does that sport play in that person's life? Mm. So, for example, if you you from in my head, you've got folks who might go to a club once a week, and they walk I term uh, recreational or social athletes who thoroughly enjoy the sport and are very valuable to a sport, yet the the time influence in their life is relatively modest in in terms of the effect on their day-to-day life, but no less important for them. If you contrast that with a full-time elite performer who has built their life around their sport, around the training session, around the competition fixtures, domestic and international, then the restrictions are, are very significant because all of their benchmarks that they use to organize and structure their time themselves indeed how they plan other aspects of their life around their sport are directly impacted and and as a consequence that can, that can have quite a quite a big effect really interesting to kind of
0: hear as you say breaking it down into into those that are more recreational fences and those that are kind of your elite performers. And actually they're probably the next kind of couple of questions we would ask, which is, well, what, what kind of effects are they having on kind of your club fences, your social fences, your recreational fences, and actually how would that go on to kind of high performance as well? Because I'm sure the impact for both is somewhat significant in their lives, but may differ depending on, on their involvement in the sport. So how would you kind of see the difference between the two?
2: I think of the recreation, if uh, rec- recreation fences or athletes, and within that, I would include what I would term non-elite performance. So these, these, these are the athletes that will compete regionally and nationally and have a, a fair degree of investment in their sport. So, so the significance of the sport is important. So because of that, in psychology terms, that's what is termed a heterogeneous group. So it's quite a wide range. Therefore, the, the implications vary. However, if I were to distill one or two generalizations with that group from the elite performer, the, the athlete to athletes competing internationally on the and on the world stage as a result of that, uh, the the non-elite, certainly the recreational folks, will have COVID and the risks associated with COVID and perhaps the logistical challenges of how clubs are being restructured as a consequence of having a COVID secure environment will we'll potentially look at that and consider is that something they're willing or prepared to undertake and to go through. So in, so in, in other words that that becomes a potentially an impediment but certainly a factor to be considered in how they progress as a generalization. If I contrast that again as a generalization with the elite performer, then for me it's a question of, and I'll phrase this in the first person, I want to get back training so I'll do what it takes and if that means I'll I'll go through a COVID secure systems, I'll wear a mask occasionally, I'll do socially distanced training, so be it. But I'm going to get out there and I'm going to train. So in, 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 that, in that regard, the, those factors are, are seen as more as just another factor to be managed in order to train and train as, as that person would, would like to, as close to their usual way of training as they're able. One of the consequences of the lockdown I'm going back perhaps now two or three months, is that with with the absence of training, I think elite performers, perhaps, again, a generalisation felt a real sense of loss, a loss of purpose, um, a, a, a loss of sort of function, if you like, a loss of structure. And that uncertainty can undermine perhaps the mood from time to time. So, so, The desire to get back into the training hall, into a structure, into a routine is not only advantageous from a performance focus, it's also very influential to well-being. Yeah, I think
1: that's very important. And you've sort of answered part of what I was going to ask in that last part of the question, because obviously, you know, Ben, Ben and I, from... February, really, actually. I mean, from the beginning of all of, of, you know, COVID happening and lockdown happening. And even if lockdown didn't happen right at the beginning, there was a feeling of, you know, it not being necessarily a good idea to be in a training hall. Uh, I know I certainly stopped fencing before, you know, lockdown happened, you know, a few weeks beforehand. And exactly what you've described is where the desire came from to implement a training program, to implement, right, well, this week I'm going to do, or, you know, in a period of seven days, I'm going to have this much rest. I'm going to do the, these types of training sessions. I'm going to do so much footwork, so much blade work, thickness, strength, conditioning. And as you've said, that that helps to, to continue with the purpose, especially for fencers that have spent so many years moving in a certain direction, loving the sport, but also wanting to achieve something. Suddenly that's all gone. And it feels like, you know, it's very easy to feel like, what, what's the point? Where's, you know, what, what am I going to do now? And the, you know, I've definitely had periods of feeling really motivated by training on my own and other periods where I've, you know, gone, right. Oh, okay. another session, why, what am I doing? Why bother? And then it's, you know, it, it it's not until you get reminders that, you know, really what, you know, what direction you're moving in and how useful it is. Uh, I know definitely by getting back into fencing, I could feel the benefits of what I've done over that period of time. And, and that, you know, that was really invigorating. Uh, and I said to Ben only the other day, you know, I've had some hits recently that I've never had before, that obviously things are paying off. And that that's fantastic, even though I'm fencing much less than I used to.
0: It's also that sense of community, right? It's the understanding that um, being around like-minded people and people do the similar thing to you that that's quite motivational It's quite invigorating and and I think that um, You know, you and I certainly kept each other motivated during lockdown talking about uh, a whole range of different things Even if it was just giving ourselves new challenges like a lot of the running that you and I have been involved in um, Just to kind of give ourselves a, a bit of a sense of purpose like Jonathan was talking about because I think when you lose that direction day-to-day it can be challenging somewhat
2: and, and listening to to that quite carefully uh, we touched earlier on mental skills and the, the importance of mental skills. And in this instance, it's goal setting. And although for some people, goal setting, when they hear that, they kind of have a deep sigh of not again. I've heard about goal setting again. What I'm hearing is how setting a goal and talking about a goal and sharing the experience of the process of, of, of going about that was actually motivational and helped connection and support and reinforced the, the relationship you have with, with, with each other. And when when a mental skill is done really well, those are the sorts of outcomes that are possible. So mm. that's an example, if you like, about a mental skill being used appropriately at a time when there were so many challenges to 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 use and a, a well used phrase, you were able to control some of the controllables in an environment where many things had been removed.
0: Absolutely, and actually, I would go on further to to say to say a little bit more on that, which is actually. I don't want anybody listening to this podcast to believe in any way that that process was easy or without its bumps in the road, because it certainly isn't mental. I I genuinely believe there's a difference between mental well-being day to day and and performance uh, mindset. Uh, And it it just that's my my own personal kind of viewpoint, which is day to day. um, You can you can feel very content or you can feel the opposite of the spectrum. And that differs greatly from what you kind of do. Um, as as an athlete per se, and and actually there were a lot of time in a lot of a lot of times in lockdown when actually I I wasn't very content. Things were very difficult. Things were very challenging. Um, and Chris, I'm sure, um, had his, had his poor ear chewed off on the phone a few times where I was groaning and mumbling. Um, and, and and even Jonathan was at the other end of the phone sometimes when I was talking about how difficult things were. But actually, we only kind of reflect uh, on on the kind of the highlights and, and actually. Because of potentially um, my, my age, along with Chris as well, we've we've been through some challenging times within the sport and, and you know, we've had very uh, supportive people around us like Jonathan to be able to kind of give us the tools to help. And so even though on the face of it, yes, we absolutely were able to make it through lockdown and gave ourselves new challenges and supported one another um, and, and had a sense of community and, and, and a purpose it still wasn't without its, its bumps in the roads and out without its challenges. And and there needs to be an understanding that actually you need to take care of your day-to-day mental well-being as well as kind of giving yourself those performance goals and that performance mindset as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've spoken about how fencing or your sport is uh, you know, a positive outlet and a focal point for, for things in your life. I know that's certainly how it started for me and it was so helpful, so beneficial. You know, I had quite highly emotional childhood I'll say sometimes you know the emotion is there so when the other stuff the stuff is stripped away everything is quite bare and quite raw and I know that finding something as a focal point definitely helped pull me through things and you know Ben and I have spoken about this in the past as well how you know relationships you know bad relationships in the past or, or really struggling at work you know they're having something you get to enjoy and you can
2: just switch off about. Those 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 comments add more poignancy to to the conversation and there's a very strong association with the potential value of in quotes appropriate exercise and activity in supporting well-being in depression and anxiety for example Mm. and the, the the point here, a, a more general point, I think, for the audience, or as I anticipate the audience for the podcast being, is to understand what function does your sport serve for you, mm. and is it meeting that function? Mm. So if there is a, a well-being function alongside a performance function, alongside a social function, then then make sure you include aspects of activity that directly address those those areas, the well-being areas, the social areas and the performance areas.
0: Uh, yeah, actually, and to touch on that point as well is that I am a full-time fencer and I go to training every single day um, with usually a purpose and, and something Jonathan and I have been talking about recently is having some renewed training goals and and, and things like that. And And we have... Been given a short break now, um, whilst the FIE have looked to to have a new kind of restart date, um, and as such, this is a good time to rest. But I am also very aware that keeping fit and active is something in 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 that keeps me very happy as a person. I always like staying physically active of of, of some kind. I'm very aware that I need to rest as well. Um, but after a few days rest, you know, I I do enjoy still keeping fit and things like that but also i still love fencing um and and on thursday this week um after a few days off i do plan to go down to um a, a local club in in my area just to have a, a little a little a little tickle you know just because actually it's good to kind of put aside the 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 training goals and and the performance side of it and actually just remember that i really like hitting people with a sword
1: yeah we're very uh excited about being graced with your presence uh, and if it's not too much trouble, we can hit you back. That's all
0: right, there. Eh? Yeah, you are. You are more than welcome. Uh, to, <laughs> and to be honest, after after my my uh, my my running at the weekend, I don't think I'm moving very fast. But um, and and it's really good to talk about a sense of community and something that I think is um, has has kept a lot of people um, connected within the sport. Um, and uh, and as such, that kind of leads us, leads us quite nicely onto the uh, British fencing and its athlete development program. Um, and and uh, British fencing are doing a lot to to bring through some some grassroots. Um, level athletes uh, through kind of England sport uh, funding to to progress the future. Um, And and Jonathan, you've been doing quite a lot of work with British Fencing and the ADP. Um, Talk us through some of the work you've been doing with them.
2: The ADP, as you rightly say, uh, has been been, um, in, in existence in its current form for about three or four years, perhaps a year longer or shorter. And the original function and purpose was to create an environment Predominantly, but not exclusively for cadet age and junior age athletes where the, the if you like, the, the best youth fences can be in the same place at the same time and can benefit from that environment and sparring with and training with, learning from people of a similar level, indeed better, better and so on. And the emphasis is very much on creating self-aware athletes mm. to become resilient performers as they go up the age groups. That brings me to, in part, where, where, where I've fitted into that. And there are two or three areas in that. One of the, the, the primary activity has been in the development of a... The Sports Psychology Program for, for ADP, which 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 would take the form of a mental skills toolkit. And that that came about out of observations from several cadet and junior European and world championships in understanding where are where are the G B fences in relation to the best and what is it that we're doing well that can be improved or what areas are there that perhaps we we can we can have some we can have some improvement in and to to, to raise this the, the standards the actual program itself has been developed and it's currently being prepared in the sense of developing the infrastructure to to implement it um, alongside that I will and I have delivered psychology sessions to groups of, of offenses at ADP camps I've, I've also played a, a part in supporting the ADP staff mm-hmm. and, and that's been in some of the some of the areas we've spoken about before in communication systems organizational structures etc and and also in in, in bringing a perspective from my experience outside of fencing and how some lessons identified in those settings can be used to add value to what we're doing within fencing. Because in any sport, there's a risk of becoming insular if you only look inwards from being on the inside. So having a little bit of a wider perspective can can help to, to add new information and challenge existing thoughts um to to help grow and develop the, the environment and the, the final part is and occasionally i've i've done some some mentoring with some of the adp coaches and and also some ass- assessments of coaches to become qualified british fencing qualified coaches so that they can achieve uh, the their identified coaching qualification awards Perfect. so that's a that's a snapshot if you like of my role over the last three or four years within ADP
0: that's a that's a great overview um and 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 actually we're working with a lot of the athletes on that program um is there any kind of common factors themes that you see amongst amongst the british fencers strengths weaknesses anything in between anything you've kind of recognized
2: i think for me there is huge desire, there's passion, and there's this commitment uh, across the board. If there is one one area that I think if it were enhanced a little, would have a significant pervasive effect across the system, and and that in that's and that's twofold it's a twofold observation. The first is to challenge the notion of perfectionism, have a more adaptive concept of excellence in in which the standard of what's desired remains the same. however the tolerance and ways of achieving it are, are more available and possible. other is, a, is something we've, we've that we've spoken around but not directly spoken about and, and, and that is, to, to have a purposeful approach to all aspects of, of, of training and, and, and that and that means that I'm I'm doing something for a purpose and that purpose could be to use an example you were just talking about Ben earlier is is going to going to have a tickle just because you enjoy the sport fun is a good purpose and alongside that And this is is to reflect on what you've done and critically identify lessons that you can use to enhance performance. And by that I mean, it may not have gone as you intended, but that doesn't mean it was wrong. It meant it was different. Was it different, just different? Was it different, worse, different, better? if it was different better what helped it become better and how do i do that more mm. if it was different worse what helped it get worse so that i can find remedies i like can experiment to to find alternatives to that and that and ideally the adp camps is offers a space and time for for fences to experiment in order to learn without necessarily needing to perform and deliver an outcome. So I find this fascinating because
1: just the other day I was listening to a podcast called the happiness lab. uh, And they've got uh, a few episodes at the moment called happiness lessons of the ancients. And this one was about Aristotle. And it talked about something similar. It talked actually about the, you know, the, the, the scenario of a tennis match, you know, one player wins, one player loses. You know, you ask the losing player how he's feeling, and you know, it, if following a certain mindset, the outcome is not is not the the goal or the result. You know, he, the outcome wasn't to win. The outcome was to prepare myself as best I could for this match, and then you know, and that, there's a feeling of satisfaction there because knowing that that was the case. I found it slightly hard to relate to because I like to win, but <laughs> I thought that. You know, I thought the the process was was really quite good and fascinating. It was like, of course, you know, if I, you know, there's no there's no space to just be pissed off all the time, um, you know, if you're losing and if you're really taking a, a good approach, sensitive approach, uh, sense support approach, sorry, and kind of professional approach. There's I think there's a lot in that that can do very much and do a lot for state of
2: mind and well being. I, I quite agree, and one one of one of the key themes in, in my work with, 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 with folks is to challenge one particular style of thinking, which I refer to as an either-or style of thinking. So it's either this or it's either that. I, uh, I look to think of it more as an and style of thinking. How that manifests in elite sport is there's a performance focus that's often results driven, there's also to achieve the results and those performances it's necessary to be able to have a, a resilient process to deliver one's optimum performances. If I think of that as an athlete, as an either or, either I have to win or I have to perform well but I can't do both. And I think that gets you into what I term a cognitive cul-de-sac or a dead end. My preference, therefore, is to have a set of expectations and goals around outcome. As you saw, as you say, Chris, people like to win and there's nothing wrong with liking to win and there's nothing wrong with not liking losing. However, if I use the win or the loss as the only way of measuring my competence and my self-worth, then that's a very vulnerable foundation to build my self-esteem and my, and my well-being on. Therefore, it's really important to recognise and acknowledge excellence of performance and process as well as outcomes.
0: I, I think it's, the, it's that's really, for me, such a poignant area for discussion. Um, I, 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 I like the kind of way you talk about the idea of kind of perfectionism, um, and I I think I can sometimes fall into that category, um, and it almost sounds quite self-right to say, oh, I'm, I'm a perfectionist, um, but actually it can be really quite um, emotionally draining um, to not be able to to kind of recognize the the, the small successes or, or, or the learning curve sometimes, um, because you're always trying to get things right all the time, and, and that's a very, very unrealistic expectation. Um, And something I've had to learn to to be kinder to myself on with the idea that, you know, not something's not black and it's not white. There are many shades of gray in the middle. Um, And also the kind of the idea of what what success is and whether, as you say, when you're competing, the outcome may not be exactly how you wanted it, but actually trying to recognize recognize the successes still within that day, whether that is, a good way of thinking, one particular action, a tactical choice and not reacting to a referee, those kind of things. So the smaller kind of successes that are measurable. But I like the idea that, as Einstein said, if you, if you, the definition of madness is to do the same thing twice and expect different results. And so the idea of actually going to a competition, um, doing something, being unhappy with it, and then going back the next time and doing the exact same thing and thinking something will change. And actually then this, as you say, this learning kind of mindset of going, well, okay, I didn't get the outcome that I necessarily wanted. What parts of it were good and um, what parts of it were bad and what can I can improve upon for for, for next time? And that kind of gives you a, a a building block. And actually, sometimes the things we choose to change, as you said, may not always be give us the still desirable outcome. But at least there's been something that's been changed and it's given us more direction for the future rather than getting caught in that kind of that loop as you as you were discussing.
1: I think a good way of thinking about this for me is the difference between lessons and sparring. I always used to think of lessons as the way you should fence. It's not at all. It's practicing scenarios. It's making, you know, it's getting timing in. But like that doesn't mean that's how you have to fence. It's about hitting. Sparring is mostly about like being in the trenches and kind of, you know, getting a light on, getting a hit on. And your lessons are about preparing you to do that in the best way possible. I agree, Chris. In summary, for me, lessons is learning lessons is learning i like that lessons is learning that might be the title of the episode
0: (laughs) actually the one the one the one thing that, that that jonathan does say which i i think is brilliant is is we've all heard the old adage of practice makes perfect but actually jonathan says practice makes permanent which is a great way of saying that actually if as you say you go to training without that purposeful approach if you go to training and practice in a way that i'm just going through the motions or you practice badly those ideas become permanent and they're therefore when you're in the as you say in the trenches in the middle of competition you're going to revert back to those things that you've purposely practiced and if they're bad habits there there will be your permanent actions that come out so i i think yes a a a great kind of way to summarize um but there's obviously quite a lot of detail there for you for you personally jonathan and, and obviously this is this, this is a, a very in-depth topic where there's a whole spectrum of things that you see and, and working within high performance, what kind of gives you your personal motivation and your personal drive? And, and given you're working with athletes that are putting themselves under huge amounts of pressure or within environments that are huge amounts of pressure, how do you deal with the pressure of what you do for a living?
2: I do like a nice, simple, straightforward question. That's nothing like a nice, simple, straightforward <laughs> question. In short... One of my key drivers, if you like, or motivators is to see people grow in whichever sense that is. And if I'm able to to offer or play a small part in that growth, then 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 that is 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 something which I which I find motivating and sustaining and as something you you'll know Ben is I'll, I take that even to the point of when I'm when I've been a coach at Commonwealth Games for example I've, I've 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 said to people who I don't normally coach something along the lines of if the best thing I can do is to leave you alone so you can do what works for you mm. tell me and I'll happily leave you alone in other words Intentionally not doing something is every bit an intervention as doing something that's planned.
0: Yeah, completely. And
2: so, so for me, it's 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 that helping and seeing people progress, and it's the relationships that come out of that set of experiences that are incredibly powerful. The pressures are enormous, and one way I try to summarise that. In my experience from, from uh, games, Paralympic Games, is I've, I refer to it as a 25-8 environment, as a support staff. To, to give you an idea, in, in, in the games where I was working as headquarters psychologist for Paralympics GB, my role potentially was supporting for one game around 360 people, for another game to touch over 400 people. and to to deliver a service that needed to work the first time, every time, because you don't get a trial games to go and practice. So for me, it's having great support from colleagues. Um, I spoke before about reflecting. I kept a reflective diary for all the four games I went to. Every evening I wrote down, or I typed it into, 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 into file, a reflective diary of that day. I had colleagues in the games that I spoke with for that purpose. I had colleagues and friends out of the games at home who were outside of that pressure cooker space as a way to who understood it, but could provide support. And even at the games, building in time for me. So all of the. Advice around challenging one's own thoughts, looking after one's own mental well-being, taking time for rest, recovery, relaxation are are crucial in certainly in the sporting venue, in a camp, but also for longevity over time. I've I've been working now in, in psychology for for far too long, about 34 years, of which uh, about 25 in sports psychology at, at, at an elite level and it's it's having a blend and balance of the of the sport but also sometimes saying no when I want to say yes because I need to say no for well-being reasons, even though for ego or other reasons I might want to say yes and I hear that in athlete choices as well as coaching choices and other colleagues, and, and that's something that is somewhat easier said than done.
0: yeah, ab- absolutely. no, I, I, I fully 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 on that one. Um, you know, being pulled from pillar to pillar to post, um, uh, just because you know you want to be there, uh, so you can't give it all yourself all the time. And as you say, they're twenty five, eight, twenty. 20 25 hours and eight days a week they don't exist but sometimes you feel like you have to kind of put that work in so a, along those lines speaking about having been to the Paralympics the Olympic Games something that I think most people in, in most sports or um, su- sports staff and support areas would love to attend what was it like being a coach within the Paralympic Olympic setting
2: There's a metaphor that's used about the games which is it's 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 a roller coaster and. I've not been an athlete at the games, although I have been an athlete at the championships. And the single big difference is as an athlete, you focused on your schedule. Mm-hmm. So you know when your the date is of your competition. If you've got more than one event, you know those dates, you 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 prepare your training around that, and once it's done, you finished good, bad, or indifferent, you're done. As a support staff member, you need to be on an optimum. Performance in delivery terms and support terms, with the first the first tr- the first support at the preparation or holding camp and the last training session or the last competition session of, of the games. And in one of those games, I I was with the sport the morning of the closing ceremony. So that was a final event where there was British involvement
0: non-stop Mm -hmm.
2: so it's unremitting and your mood picks up on the mood of the performance around you 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 may be aware for example that in the village i'm assuming it's still done in the athlete village in the headquarters area there's a medal table for gb and all the sports and all the days and all the medals are noted down and it's a very public space that that people can't help walking past and i think that's that's intentional as this is why we're here. Imagine you you someone that hasn't contributed to that medal table and you're passing it every day. Challenging. Imagine you someone that is targeted in your sport to be one of the favourites to podium or gold medal and you're towards the back end and you walking past that and seeing your day come nearer and nearer and nearer day by day by day. That's the kind of remitting demand of the the external manifestation of the games, which is that medal or gold medal. And my job as a support staff member is to help help with colleagues in the way I've described insulate all of those what I term extraneous demands from the performance. And remember, I'm not immune to those demands as, as, as a human being and as a person. So I I need to minimise putting my emotions onto the athlete or the other folks I'm supporting whilst insulating them from the demands themselves.
0: That that pressure is always so challenging. Um, and certainly, I, I know what it's like when you say you've got the somebody who is who's set to a medal, and, and even if they potentially miss that medal, they then have the kind of especially people around them, are meddling. Um, it becomes an even more difficult pressure situation. I, I, I remember if we take it back to Australia for me, um, and I, I felt I was in a good position to try and win a, a, a medal in 2010, and it didn't go that well. Um, and you and I sat outside and had quite a, a deep conversation about the pressures that I'd been feeling and how I now had to pick myself back up for the team and also be around those who were winning medals around me. That was particularly challenging. And then four years uh, later, missing an individual medal and then going on to do very well in the team. Again, it was that, that conversation of a challenging individual picking oneself up for the team. And then finally, another four years later, it all came good. And, and both the individual and, and the team medals came. And it just showed that that was, uh, you know, kind of 12 years of work uh, between both of us and having to kind of deal with the highs and the lows and, and the ups and the downs of, 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 of sport. So but all of that being said, um, what's your personal career highlight?
2: I've been asked this before and I could pick up several. The one that stands out, which is one that is invisible in a in a, in a, in a directly performance terms, is that I was at a World Cup that was a qualifying event for London with, with a, a sport and we were in in the States and it was extremely hot. This was a Paralympic sport. And in summary, heat and disability, do not mix very well mm-hmm. because there's a many there are complications of what's termed thermoregulation by athletes who have a disability. In other words, they can't cool themselves down as effectively as non-disabled people can. Mm-hmm. At the tournament, it was hot and we saw the temperature forecast and one day the ambient was going to be 100 degrees in the shade and then indoors a bit more. We understood all the athletes what they needed to recover, from 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 a heat point of view, from a refuelling point of view, from a food etc. point of view, and so on. We we had a bespoke program for each athlete. The coaches, team manager, physio, and myself worked as it as a unit, with other athletes helping out. We we created and bought all the resources to be able to have ice for external cooling, appropriate foods for, for, for refueling, hydration, very, very clear protocols. The thing that was magnificent is, is the athletes were able to deliver optimum performances in the events. Parallel to the athlete support programs, we also had support team programs. So we, we, we buddied up and we each looked after each other. Mm. So we made sure that no one collapsed under the pressure in the environment. And it's a, one of those rare occasions where what we planned manifests as we intended. <laughs> rare, they're rare. It, it's a rare, it's a rare. And why, I'm, why that stands out is it, it was the manifestation of four years of work with that staff team with that sport, piecing together all the lessons we've spoken about from different events that came together in 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 that way, and that was particularly satisfying.
0: That's always the kind of the gold the golden pot at the end of the rainbow is trying to all the habits, everything, all of the learning putting it into one program and it all coming good. it 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 is certainly a, a rarity. Um, and that's amazing to hear for 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 the fences and for the sports people out there that are, are are trying their best to find ways to develop and continue to grow with lack of competitions, obviously, it's a great time to learn more, to do more work on oneself. Is there any um, kind of techniques, exercises you would suggest, or any kind of apps and other resources that people could use to to be working on between now and when competitions do
2: start? I'm I'm not familiar and I personally don't use that many of those resources. I have seen some, but I am not sufficiently familiar to recommend them and I don't want to, Ill, to offer poor or ill, Ill advice. Okay. However, what I would suggest is take this opportunity to review your fencing career and if you've got a prior sporting career as well and identify in three main questions. What are the factors that help you do well and why? What are the factors that help you do poorly and why? And what are the things you've never tried but you think, actually, this is missing from what I've ever done and how can I introduce some new things? So identify the strengths and look look for ways to reinforce and evolve them understand the areas that are no longer helpful and look for ways to disengage from them and if needed replace them if not needed allow them to remain dormant and then be creative and seek advice from people around you for things which you don't know in other words take the things you don't know that you don't know and encourage yourself to be creative and curious to turn them into things you know you don't know and that will help you to be able to plan so that when training becomes more systematic and we get back to competition what you have will be an upgraded updated process and plan circa 2020 2021
0: perfect awesome. and, and yeah. that's that's a that's a really a really good way of looking at things you don't need to necessarily uh jump on on, on on any app store or, or books just you can, a lot of this you can be done done yourself with a piece of paper and a pen and finding your own way through
1: yeah i think that's very true as a side note you know the guy andy that does uh, the the headspace app my daughter found on youtube the other day something where i heard this guy's voice and i was like what the hell is going on and he does a sesame street one with like animated <laughs> sesame street characters it's called monster meditation so I just thought I'd mention that. It was really funny.
0: Yeah, we're big we're big fans of Headspace. Um, as a kind of final uh, bit, uh, Jonathan, it's been great to have you on. We've really, really enjoyed talking to you and, and finding out more um, about psychology and about your career and kind of what gives you the driving factors and, and what people can be doing to improve oneself. What's the biggest thing you've learned in your
2: career? If you create opportunities, be them the environment, the relationships, people have the capacity to learn, grow and change. That does not mean they will necessarily achieve whatever the stated outcome goal is. However, give people an opportunity to for and the space to, to grow, and they may surprise you and do just that.
0: Amazing.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I really like that. Yeah. It's a bit like fencing just make the opportunities, and you'll hit.
0: Unless the other person uh, messes it up for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we did not talk about that that's very true no great uh, <laughs> that's very clean and concise and and actually stops the pressure mounting on the individual it, it's a it's about growth and and that person learning and developing which is which is great to see jonathan it's been an absolute pleasure having you on um, and 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 you've answered some of our questions beautifully and I'm, I'm sure the the viewers will will have a lot to take away and 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 learn from themselves, Jonathan. Where can people find you if they want to get in contact uh, with you and set up sessions with you, or even just have have have
2: a bit of a chat? Thanks for the opportunity, Ben. In I believe in the in, in the associate information with the podcast, there there will be a a, a LinkedIn connection. There will be a, a Twitter handle and and an email,
0: yeah. so
2: um, folks can get through to me on in any of, of, of those measures um, and uh, happy to have a conversation. And I'd like to thank uh, both both of you guys, Chris and Ben, for the invitation and opportunity to to have this conversation.
0: Absolutely, we could have we could have sat here and spoken to you all day, uh, Jonathan. It's been it's been a lot of fun, um, and we'll definitely put the the appropriate handles within the within the write up for the for the podcast. Remember to uh, subscribe and review and get in contact with us as well on whatever platform you use. We like to hear from everybody um, and and on our viewers, so make sure you get in contact with us uh, on our Twitter account, which is at the Fenced In Podcast. Uh, Or you can even uh, contact uh, myself or Chris personally. Um, So Chris at uh, design uh, J4G, which is on Twitter or myself um, at Ben Peggs or even my Ben Peggs fencing page. I'm also on Instagram as Ben Peggs as well. So whatever media you you really fancy.
1: Yeah, just search for Ben Peggs on Google. He'll come up. You won't miss him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there'll be some terrible pictures of me. But uh, in the meantime, I think that kind of sums everything up quite nicely.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Ben. Can't wait to meet you in person soon. And Ben, I will see you on Friday for our lesson.
0: Absolutely. Thanks very much,
1: guys. The Fenced In podcast has been created in association with J4G Design, your one-stop user experience agency for all things digital. Websites, graphic design and technical support.